Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Oh, 10.45, you are sleepy. It is good to see you this morning. It's a blessing to be here with you. Hey, before we get into our Bibles and into our message today, I really want to play a little game with you guys. Is that okay? Okay, so we're talking today about how we can grow in our love and affection for God. So I thought it would be really fun to play a short round of finish that rom-com quote. You ready? Okay, so here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you the name of the movie, and part of the quote, and then you guys are going to finish the quote. All right? First one is really famous. Maybe the most famous romantic comedy of all time, The Princess Bride. You probably already know it. As you as you wish. Very good. Okay, the next two are from Jerry Maguire. All right, ready? You had me at? Hello, yeah. You complete me. Yes, you complete me. All right, now we're getting a little bit off the beaten path here. Notting Hill. Any Notting Hill fans? Oh, okay, maybe one or two. Here we go. Okay, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to... Love her, yeah. Okay, that one not so much, we'll see. Okay, um, when Harry met Sally. How about when Harry met Sally, yeah. Okay, here we go. When you realize you wanna spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible, yeah. I love it. Okay, one of my personal favorites, Bridget Jones's Diary. I like you very much. Just the way you are. I know, so good, right? Okay, the wedding date. Anybody? The wedding date? I think I'd miss you even if... Even if we'd never met. Yeah, you're cheating. You heard it first service. Okay, my last one. Maybe my most personal favorite, Princess Diaries. Yeah. Okay, ready? Why me? Because you saw me when I was... Invisible. Very good. I heard it somewhere over here. Thank you guys. Great job, by the way. You guys know your rom-coms. I'm very impressed. Thank you for indulging me with that. Now, some of you I did not have at Hello. I lost you at rom-com, so I have a bonus movie quote for you. Ready? It's from Cool Hand Luke. What we have here is a... Yeah, what we have here is a failure to communicate. I get it. You know, not everybody loves rom-coms. That probably went over your head. That's fine. But so we're going to get into today's message, and we're going to see in Psalm 19 that God wants us to grow in our affection for him. And, you know, falling in love like they do in the movies, well, that's different than growing in love like we do in our deepest relationships, right? And some of us here this morning, we're not too sure that God loves us. We might even think, you know what, I have no love for God, I haven't done anything that he likes, pretty sure he doesn't love me, and I don't love him. Some of us have been walking with Jesus for so long that we've kind of fallen into a little bit of a spiritual drought. We've maybe set down some of the habits that help us draw close to God over time. But Psalm 19 is going to show us today that no matter what our starting point is, we can grow in our love and affection for God because he loved us first. So today, we're going to ask ourselves this question, how can I grow in my affection for God? We don't want to forget 
that it's God that fills our need to be loved and connected first and fully. And 1 John 4.19 says it this way, we love because he first loved us. So Psalm 19 is going to show us that God is not playing hard to get. He is making the first move for us, you guys, and he wants closeness with us. And when we experience God in his world and his word, we can grow in our affection for him too. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 19. It's kind of in the middle of your Bibles. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6 to start. And while we're getting there, I want to go ahead and just set up Psalms a little bit for us. So the book of Psalms is a collection of poems. And you may have seen some other collections of poems. I was a big fan of Shel Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends growing up. Yeah. And so in, in that book, you can kind of like pick and choose whichever poem was your favorite. You can read them in any order that you wanted. But the Psalms, they were put together in a specific specific order intentionally for us to read so that we could come into the presence of God and hear the story of his whole kingdom, the whole story of his kingdom. So that's what we're going to discover today in the Psalms. And uh, Tim Mackey, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bible Project, Tim Mackey at the Bible Project, he calls the Psalms a literary temple. I just love that description. So the temple was where ancient Jews would go to immerse themselves in the presence of God. And they would do that through song, through art, through rituals. So imagine what it must have felt like when the Babylonians came and destroyed the temple and captured the Jews into exile. Now where could they go to be with God? Where could they go to be comforted by his promises for them? So the book of Psalms is a collection of poetic prayers for exiles. And it can be that for us too. Why? Because wherever we go, God is there. We can worship God wherever we are, no matter what we're going through, because we have the Psalms. We don't need four walls and a roof to do it. So with that in mind, let's read together in Psalm 19 and see what David, King David, who wrote the Psalm, has to say about this. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. So what's the glory of God? His craftsmanship, the work of his hands. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. Creation is incessantly telling us who God is. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. We may not be able to hear it with our ears, but our heart gets the message anyway. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. There's no possible way we could miss the message of creation. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. So even if we didn't have eyes or ears, we would still feel God's glory. So the first way that David shows us that we can see God is through his world. We can experience his glory in the midst of his creation. And this word glory here 
It suggests that there are properties and features of God himself that we can see when we look at creation. It's pretty wild. How many of us have ever stood out and looked out over the ocean and it just looks like it never ends, right? Or you've looked up at the skies on a clear night and you've been blown away by how many stars there are. It is so amazing, right, that we get to see a glimpse of God in the beauty of his creation, in the ocean, the stars, the mountains, everything around us. And the cool part is, is that you don't even have to be a Christian to enjoy this, right? This is what we call common grace. Everyone can enjoy a sunset. Everyone can enjoy a nice day off. You can enjoy a great conversation with someone, intimacy with another person, deep connection. You can all enjoy, we can all enjoy the beauty of creation. Romans says it this way. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. They see something invisible. Think about that. His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Now nature is where I personally most easily experience God, so seeing God in the world is the most fun for me. And um, I enjoy hiking to get out in nature. Anybody else like to hike? Yeah, there's some great spots to hike here in San Diego. There's the beach trails, the Torrey Pines, Potato Chip Rock, got Cal's Mountain. There's canyons right here in Tierra Santa that you can hike. There's great hiking all over the place. I think my favorite hike that I've ever done is Mount Whitney. I did Mount Whitney in 2011 with my aunt and uncle and a couple of their friends. And it was easily the most beautiful landscape I've ever seen in my life. It's some of the most beautiful panoramic views on the planet. But I'll tell you what, my favorite view was at the summit, but that entire hike started in the dark. We had to get up at 2 a.m. to get on the trail, and it was real dark. I had a headlamp on, and I kept that headlamp firmly planted at the ground, <laughs> right in front of my feet. One, because I didn't want to trip. Two, because I could feel the bears looking at me. Okay, there are bears, black bears in Mount Whitney. If you don't believe me, here's a side story that has nothing to do with the message, but I think you'll appreciate it. So, a bear stole a backpack from one of the hikers in our group that morning. We were getting ready, and we had this lantern in the middle of our little camp circle, and the light probably stretched out to about, you know, like that big, the little light ring from the lantern. He set his pack down right next to me, probably, you know, just a little past arm's distance length away from me, and he turns around to go do something. He's gone for maybe 30 seconds, and I just see this black bear paw reach in and nab the bag and take off with it. And I'm like, um... <laughs> hey, my guy, uh, a bear took your backpack. He goes chasing the bear. Okay, please don't chase bears. The ones in Mount Whitney are not that aggressive, but still not a good idea, right? He goes chasing the bear, and he finds this bear. It's up on a little hill. It's unzipped his backpack, taken the lunch out, opened that, and very carefully and neatly undone all the Ziploc bags, torn through all the little foil wrappers, and he's just enjoying the lunch. Just 
just taking his time eating. And the guy's standing there and he's like, how, I don't, how do I get my lunch back, you know? So after the bear's done, he puts all the trash back in the backpack and then he just takes off on the longest day like it was no big deal. And we're like, oh my gosh. So there's bears on Mount Whitney, right? So I'm hiking in the dark. It's 2 a.m. And I do not want to see glowing eyes looking back at me, right? So I've got my headlamp on the ground. And hiking Mount Whitney, it's like, it's like hiking a marathon in a day. And the first half of the marathon, you go straight up from about 8,300 feet to about 15,000 feet in the span of 10 miles, more or less. And then the second half of the marathon, you reverse the trip and come back downhill, which I think, in my own personal opinion, is harder. It is hard work getting up Mount Whitney. I will spare you the details about altitude sickness and having no amenities like toilets and running water on the trail. It's not enjoyable, right? But as the light came up and we're making this hike, around every tree, over every rock, is just another beautiful view. And then you get to the top, and the view up there is so worth it. This is my favorite. This is called Guitar Lake. So you can see this from the top of Mount Whitney, and it's called Guitar Lake because it looks like a guitar lying flat on the ground. And man, I'm just, as you're standing up there on the spine of Mount Whitney and the summit looking down on this, you guys, this picture does not do it justice. The mountains around it make it look like a puddle. But it's not, it's big. You're standing up there, you're looking down at this clear, bright blue water and it's hydrating, the only vegetation that can survive up that high. And I just felt like the mountain and this lake as I was in awe of all this creation around me, I felt like they were reminding me to praise the creator, not the creation. And as I'm standing there with the Sequoia National Forest as the backdrop and like majestic birds are flying in and out of my view and I just felt like the world was so big around me. So if creation feels big around us, how much bigger then is God? Creation can remind us how unfathomable God is. Look at this. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. What? Do you know how big you have to be to do that? It's crazy. Now, of course, David in this psalm, he's talking about the stars, but he's not excluding the rest of creation. All the natural world is included in this, right? God breathed our universe into existence. He opened his mouth and creation came out. Stars, planets, everything that we can see and everything that we can't see, either because it's too small, like atoms, or too big, like the, re the furthest reaches of our universe. He made all of it, spoke it into creation, and still he said, I'm not done with creation until there's a Corey, an Elijah, an Amanda, an Andrew. I'm not done with creation until there's a Kamar. I don't understand it, you guys, but it is clear that God cares for us. All of creation agrees with us in this. Verse 5 says, the sun, it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 and 26, 
It says it like this. So who is like me? Who holds a candle to me, says the holy? Look at the night skies. Who do you think made all of this? Who marches this army of stars out each night, counts them off, calls each by name, so magnificent, so powerful, and never overlooks a single one? Verses like this, when we read them and creation is showing up and big and beautiful and important, it makes us feel small. And that's good. Feeling small in comparison to God, it gives us perspective. It helps us answer the question, do I matter? Because out of all the things that God created and all the things that he could have created and didn't, he made us. That's wild. Feeling small in comparison to God is good. Feeling little, on the other hand, is not good. Feeling little steals our perspective. So if you've ever thought like, oh, God's got more important things to do than to answer my prayers. Or if you've ever felt like, you know, I really can't complain because people all around the world have it way worse than me, right? You might be feeling little instead of small. That's not God's truth for you. Feeling small in comparison to God is good because we are not the main character of God's story. Newsflash, Jesus is. But don't you ever let yourself or anyone else make you feel little. That is not God's truth for you. You know, before I started working at Newbreak, um, I worked at lots of different nonprofits. And so I would have these opportunities to go into these boardrooms with people of influence. And I would walk into these boardrooms, and I was in my young 20s, oftentimes I would feel about this big walking into the room. Because I felt like everyone in there was older than me, wealthier than me, or had half a chromosome less than me. (laughs) And so they treated me like I was their child instead of their peer. And you know, still today, I walk into some rooms and I get inside my own head and I think, I don't have the right degrees, I don't have the right skills, I don't have the right experience to be in this room with these people. What am I doing here? If you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt little, you're not alone, but let's remember that God cares about you. He cares about you so much that he sent his son out of heaven to here on earth to take care of the root problem of all of our problems. In other words, he's big enough to completely wipe away all of our sin, and he did it for us. It's pretty amazing. So we're going to keep reading in chapter set, or um, I'm sorry, verse 7. And David's going to make a transition here. He's going to change from talking about God's world to now he's going to start talking to us about God's word. So let's read together. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. Are we hearing a pattern here? Reverence for the Lord is pure, 
lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then, then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what are these instructions, these decrees, these commands that David is talking about? He is talking about God's word, the Bible. And so for David, he had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Look how much he had compared to what we have. This is what he had. And in the Torah was contained all of God's covenant relationship with his children, including all of his promises to them that he would be their God and they would be his children. So that's what David is talking about, the law of the Lord. These instructions are God's word. And check this out. These, the way that David is describing God's word, they're not just characteristics of the word. They're characteristics of the author of the word, too. The adjectives that he uses to describe God's word, valuing it more than precious gold, sweeter than honey, he's saying we can know God who is more than precious gold, sweeter than honey. These are the characteristics of God. We get to see and experience God's character through his word. Character is something pretty important when you're thinking about having a long-term relationship with someone, right? It's something that goes pretty high up on the list if you're thinking about spending your life with someone. And I remember the first time that I realized I wanted to marry my husband, Andrew. We'd been dating for a little while, and I already knew I loved him. But when I saw his character in action, that's when I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. And it didn't take much. It was a little thing. We had gone grocery shopping one night for a little dinner date. We were going to cook together. And when I say we were going to cook together, what I mean is Andrew was going to cook, and I was just going to, you know, help, kind of. And Andrew was really great at cooking. He really enjoys it. And I am really great at enjoying his cooking. So it works out. And so we had gone grocery shopping. We put all the groceries in the car. And he opens the door for me. And I get in his beautiful Dodge Challenger that we miss so dearly, not having it anymore. And I am waiting very patiently like a nice girlfriend, not at all. No, he's taking the cart back to the shop, you know, the little cart corral that they have at the grocery stores. And I'm sitting there and sitting there and I'm like, dude, I'm kind of hungry. Like, how long does it take to take a shopping cart back? Am I right? So I'm looking out the window. I'm like, where is he? And I spot him. He's taking all of the other shopping carts back, too, that were just left in that row in the parking lot. He wasn't doing it to be noticed. He wasn't doing it to be impressive. He didn't know I was looking out the window at him. He didn't need a reward for it. He was just doing it because it's a good thing to do. 
I would learn later that one of Andrew's favorite verses of the Bible is Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary of doing good, for in due time you will reap a harvest. And as long as I've known Andrew, he's been constant in that. And in the same way that we can see the character of a person in their actions, we can see the character of God in his word. These pages are filled with stories of God behaving according to who he is. So in verse 7 and 8, when it says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. These adjectives, they're for God too. Perfect, right, trustworthy. That's who God is. And that's what David says he's meditating on when he gets to verse 14 and he says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David is so moved by what he sees in God's world around him and by his word that all he wants is to please God. That's all he wants. You know, one of the very first times that I ever got up here to speak, I was super nervous. I still get nervous, but I was super nervous the first time. And so I remember asking, asking Pastor Brooks if he had any wisdom for me. And he told me, he said, Kumar, at the end of the day, if you are aiming to please God with what you say up on this platform, that's what matters most. I thought, wow, that is such great wisdom for all of us, right? Because we might not get up on a stage every day of our life, but we walk into work. We go and we take our kids to drop off at camps and schools and swim lessons and whatever. We hang out with our friends and family that don't know Jesus. Everywhere we go, we are preaching God's word. Is he our highest aim? Do we want to please God more than we please anybody else? Most days, if I'm honest, I don't. I want to please me, usually. So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can grow in so much affection and love for God through his word that he becomes our highest aim? I have, I have this tool that was given to me, and I want to share it with you guys. It's kind of a step-by-step -step tool of how we can be in God's Word and meditate on it in a way that causes us to grow in our love and affection. Okay, so the first thing that we need to do, it's really groundbreaking. we got to read God's Word. I know. I know, it's hard. It's hard for me. i got to get it on the calendar. The days I don't read God's word, it's not because I don't think it's important. I just hope, don't happen to think it's more important than the other things I have on my calendar. Not a good look. So I have to get it on my calendar and I have to keep that appointment that I make with me and God. Otherwise it doesn't happen. The other thing that I like to do is I like to get a Devo book, a daily devotional book. This helps me read God's word and then also think about it. So, this is a new one that I got this last week, and um, it has like a passage of scripture in it, and then it'll have several days of entries that are all thoughts on that scripture, which is really great. So I can read God's word. After we read it, we need to reflect on it. So if I've got my Devo book and I've read my passage and 
I've read some of the author's thoughts on that passage. Does that mean I meditated? No. No. These are somebody else's thoughts on God's word. And they're good. He's pretty famous for it. But they're not. That's not meditation. I'm meditating when I read God's word and I say, what is God's word saying? And what is he teaching me through it? That's what meditation is. That's what David's talking about. It's filling your mind, thinking about God's word. So we reflect on it, and then we have to remember it. Why? Well, because, are you going to carry this around with you? This is pretty heavy. I don't carry this around with me. But I also have God's word here. Isn't that okay? Yep. I have it on my phone. That's good, too. You can even make a verse image and put it on your watch face. So why do I need to remember it? Because then when you need it, it's already here. And it's already here. God will bring it to your remembrance. You need to know it. We need to know it and remember it. So after we reflect upon it, we recount it. And this just means sharing it with someone else. This is, I like doing this a lot. I like telling people about what I'm learning in God's word. I love it and I hate it. So I had this friend in college who would always ask me this question, Kamar, what's God teaching you? We'd be going to coffee, Kamar, what's God teaching you? Walking to class at San Diego State, Kamar, what's God teaching you? Sitting down at home, Kamar, what's God teaching you? I call it the Emily question. I love it and I hate it because it makes me stop and think. But honestly, you guys, some days my thoughts don't really feel good to think. Anybody else ever been there? Yeah. I'm discovering more and more that the answer for my difficult thoughts, my painful feelings, is not in numbing them or distracting myself from them, but actually feeling my feelings, naming them, processing my thoughts, and then redirecting my mind onto God's word. So when I was in therapy, my therapist taught me about cognitive distortions. So to process my thoughts, I like to play this little game with myself called Name That Cognitive Distortion. (laughs) Whenever I have unpleasant thoughts that pop up. And, you know, this is not therapeutic advice. If you don't know what cognitive distortions are, if you're not in the context of therapy, don't try to do this on your own, right? But for me, here's what it does. It helps me step outside of the thought and the feeling for just a moment so I can examine it from different, more objective angles. And I can go, huh, is that thought a little bit wonky? That thought might be off. What's a better thought? Or better yet, what's God's truth about that thought? What does God say about what I'm thinking? And then I can turn my eyes and my mind back on him. So once we've recounted it, now it's time to respond. And other than reading it, this is probably the simplest step, but it's definitely not the easiest. Because we respond to God's word in obedience. And obedience takes work, it takes intention. This is where transformation happens. This is the kind of love that changes us. It requires difficult decisions, behavior changes, even realigning our sense of identity and purpose and belonging back into who God says we are, not in what we want to be true about who we are. 
So for me, really practical example, um, whenever I see myself in a re reflection of a mirror or if I walk by, catch, catch my reflection in a window that I'm walking by, sometimes these like self-critical and self-objectifying thoughts come swirling to the surface. And sometimes my six-year-old daughter will even come home and she'll speak poorly about her own body. She's six. And so when that happens, when I feel those thoughts coming up or when I hear my daughter say something negative about her body, I can respond in obedience to God's truth because I have read Psalm 139, 14. I've meditated on it. I remember it. It says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So I can call out the lie that only skinny bodies are good bodies. I can do that with her right next to me. We can do that together. And then I can hold space for all of our emotions, our big emotions about this. I don't have to jump in right away and try to fix it so that we all feel better, right? We can look at the emotions together because I've meditated on God's word and I know that it means that God did not make a mistake with us no matter how our body issues feel about it. And now I can stand up and talk about it in front of you all because I've recounted it lots of times with trusted people in my life who have assured me that yes, I am doing my part to take care of myself and to parent healthy living. And also above everything else, I am loved no matter what size my clothes are. This is the effect of God's word in our life. It transforms us, it changes us, and it is hard work. I've shared with you guys before, I'm no stranger to depression and anxiety. Back in 2020, my thought life felt like those first few hours of the Mount Whitney hike. It was dark, it was hard, it was scary. But three years later, after doing the work, making the climb, I feel like I'm standing on a summit in the full light of God and I can see a future for myself. I can see what God thinks about me, yeah. God is faithful to complete the good works that he begins in us. And I'm not done. None of us are ever done, right? There's more mountains to climb. There's more views to see. There's more of God to know and love always. But when we are in God's word, these are the results that we get in our life. It refreshes us. It makes us wise. It gives us joy and light. David saw these in his life as well, and he was not perfect when he wrote this psalm. We're talking about David, King David, a man after God's own heart, and also the guy that liked to epically fail. King David, the stand-in king for the future king that all of the Jews were waiting for, the Messiah. Not perfect, but he saw these effects in his life as well, and we can too. God's word also gave David hope for the future of God's children, which now includes you and me and anybody else who follows Jesus. Why? Because he had God's law. And God's law said that he would send that Messiah to save people, all the people on earth, from their sin. Let's check out what he says in, in verse 12 and 13. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? 
Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then, and only then, you guys, then, I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. He's saying, God, free me from this sin. Send the Messiah that you promised. We have the rest of the book, right? So we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that David was only hoping in. We have Jesus, and we can grow in our love for him. But some of us, instead of choosing to be refreshed, instead of choosing the joy and the light that God brings us, we run from God. We choose death because we want to be in charge of our own life. We want to be the God of our own heart. Others of us, like me, I think I can get to heaven on my own without bothering Jesus, right? If I just white knuckle it and try hard enough, I'll get there. Man, today we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to pray together in a few minutes. We're going to make space for all of us to write our relationships with God. Because maybe that's not e that either one of those options isn't you. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you've been convicted by Psalm 19, and you've been thinking, man, you know, I really need to get back into God's word. I really need to get out into God's world because I have not been a good partner to God. I've stopped loving him the way that I need to. I want to grow in that affection again. So we're going to pray together and then we'll get to take communion together as well. So let's pray. God, thank you for showing yourself to us in your world and in your word. God, we acknowledge that we do not keep our promises to you and we are thankful that you keep your promises to us anyway. That you are a man of your word, that you keep your promises, that you always come through for us. God, some of us today are ready to stop running. We're ready to say, God, I give you control of my life. I give you my will. I surrender it to you because holding it on my own, it just has not worked out. So I give it all to you today, God. Please save me. Please free me from this sin. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. I want to grow in my love and affection for you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you, starting now. If you prayed that prayer, would you just do one more thing for me? Everyone's eyes are closed, the heads are bowed. If you just pop your head up and look at me, I want to pray for you this week. Thank you. You can go ahead and bow your head again. Thank you, guys. And if you're like me, been walking with Jesus for a while, but you feel the need to grow some more in your love and affection for God, you are ready to recommit your love and your life to Him in a way that helps you be a good partner for God so that you can preach His Word in all of the world so that when people see you, they see Jesus because of how much you love Him. If that's you, you can go ahead and raise your hand. My eyes are closed. Everyone's eyes are closed. My hand is raised too. A lot of us, yeah. 
Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for the love that you show us. We praise you for who you are in all of your world and in your word. Help us to grow in our love and affection with you. In your son's name we pray, amen.